This time loop thing. How did you get out of it? Oh, I simply boosted the circuits and broke free. You came back of your own accord? Well, I... Doctor? No. No, I'm afraid not. No, obviously the Time Lords have programmed the TARDIS always to return to Earth. It seems that I'm some kind of a galactic yo-yo. and welcome to Galactic Yo-Yo, the podcast where Doctor Who fans share their unpopular opinions with the world. And I have to do with them. I'm your host, Molly Marsh. And this week uh, on the podcast, although it wasn't recorded this week, as I'll explain in a minute, um, I spoke to Mark Laherty, whose name I still struggle to say, um, as you'll hear evidence of at the start of the conversation. Um, He's a writer, uh, critic, creative, um, who's recently contributed a story to a short story collection called Chevet Down the Middle which is a short story collection um, all about the character of Chris Chavez, um, who some of you, but not all of you, will know from having featured in the Virgin New Adventures books in the 90s. Um, we talk about the book and why it matters and um, why this character continues to be interesting to people 30 years on. And we do all that um, in, the, in the first part of the podcast. And then we have a conversation about Rose Tyler, and Mark's uh, contentious views um, about the character. Um, this was recorded on the 5th of November, which is obviously bonfire night in the UK. Um, so I thought you'd be able to hear some of the fireworks that were going off outside. But I don't think you can really hear them on the recording from, from what I can tell. Um, but that is what I keep referencing, um, if you're wondering what that's all about. Um, it was also uh, recorded during the period where we still didn't know who'd won the presidential race in the US yet. Um, so there's there's a lot of tension in the air um, while we were recording, and uh, yeah, it's kind of an interesting podcast. It's kind of an interesting cultural artifact, I guess, in, in that respect. Of course, we know now um, that uh, Donald Trump has won, and the and the vote was a was a fraud. Um, I just uh, touch wood. But anyway, I think that is everything uh, this week. I'll let you get on with enjoying the podcast. Uh, next couple of weeks, I'm going to keep putting the podcast out weekly, keep hitting you with content. But for now, before I do that, here is my conversation with Mark Laherty. Cool. So I'm here with um, writer Mark Laherty. Um, I buggered that up, didn't I? I'm going to start that again. <laughs> so I'm here. It's an unusual set of syllables uh, for... <laughs> For an English person to say wow. together. Okay, uh, so I'm here with Mark Laherty, um, writer. Yeah, you did it. I did it. I did it. I, that you know what? That is not as many times as I. You know, I'm not even going to attempt to say his name now. But you know who I'm talking That's about. That's colonialism. It's, it's Nikki, and I found oh. it very difficult to oh, say Herringsma? his name. Yeah, it took it took me a lot of goes, uh, and I'm ashamed of how many goes it took me. But yes, I'm here. Oh with... well, if we're doing confessionals, it took me like two years to actually read it correctly as Haringsma instead of Harasigma. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's one of those names that you're just, if you're just not used to reading it, then you just, yeah. We're going to get into name pronunciation, though, in a minute, I'm sure. <laughs> I think we are. Because one of, yeah, one of the reasons you reached out to me, I've sort of become aware of your stuff from reading kind of blogs you've done on, on Downtime 2017 and some other um, uh, Doctor Who sites and, and, and on Twitter. So I, I kind of knew about your stuff already, but one of the reasons that you reached out to me was that you have a story in a new tangentially Doctor Who related um, book of fiction. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Uh, oh, oh and I should me. I should um, give the listeners the heads up that they might hear some distant fireworks, and that's because we're recording this on the fifth of November, and there are st- there are some fireworks outside. Sorry if that's d- distracting, but hopefully it's um, in the background enough that it is. Uh, ambience rather than yeah rather than being too obtrusive um, but yes please do tell me about the book the book i'm in is called chevet down the middle chevet is spelled c-w-e-j i've read this as quedge my entire life yeah yeah here's the thing chevet rhymes with straight this is this is the trick everyone in universe reads it and pronounces it quedge and chris has given up on correcting them Right. This is the bit. It's like, it's like Tim gag. Shaw. Yeah, it yeah, it's Tim Shaw going turning into Tim Shaw. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh so who's Chris Chavez? Who how could we possibly Look, know? I very I very vaguely know who this character is, but I as somebody who is not that invested in the expanded universe of Doctor Who or hasn't historically been, I only vaguely know. So I'd be interested to know A who they are and B uh-huh what it was about this particular obscure Doctor Who character that made you and the other writers in the in the short story collection want to write new adventures for the character well the well the two simple pitches for the book follow from this the first thing is that if you don't know about the extended universe or the extended who universe, or whatever you want to call it. You don't have to. It's a new series. You can jump in. There are two or three stories in there that are, like, you know, for the fans, but for the most part, it's written with you in mind. <laughs> and uh, second, the the simplest pitch and the simplest explanation for Chris's whole deal is that he's a trailblazing bisexual icon who ran so that Jack Harkness could crawl. I like that. Um, I like that description. In terms yes. of, like... His story in the world of Doctor Who, though, he showed up originally in the Virgin New Adventures novels in the 90s, right? Yes, he did. He uh, is of the Doctor Who of the page exclusively. Well, page and audio, but mainly on the novels, Mm, yes. mm. And he was a companion of the Seventh Doctor? The Seventh Doctor, yes, exactly. And who Uh, plays him on audio? Uh... One second, I'm going to have to look this up because I'm familiar. <laughs> I'm interested. <laughs> I, to I'm know. not familiar with the audios. You see, right? This is this is the thing I was brought in pretty late in the game, so I am not the resident Virgin New Ad- Adventures expert, which I think look. emphasizes what I want to tell, want to communicate to so people. I'm, I'm seeing on Tar- yeah. like... I'm seeing it on Tardis Wiki a couple of voice actors: Travis Oliver and Simon. King yeah, Tra- Travis is the main one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, for- Forgive me, but th- this... He this looks a bit like David Cameron, is, doesn't he? I'm looking at an illustration of Chris Chavez from the, the yeah, cover so, of one sort of the of books. Like the, sort of the illustration that they bop up there right at the top. Yeah, uh, 
He's a I, bit I of a gammon. He does look like a bit of a gammon in that one <laughs> uh, illustration that they seem to have run with. Yeah. Tardis Datacore in their infinite wisdom. Yeah. But uh, n- no, if you the main actor is Travis Oliver. And you'll see that he's a bit more of a handsome fella, shortcut hair kind of a thing. A little bit of a, little bit yeah. of a scruff. He's a bit more of a clegg than a Cameron. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, God. National heartthrob <laughs> Nick Clegg. Um, yeah, national heartthrob Nick Clegg. That's that's the <laughs> pitch we're going for with this book. But yeah, what is, what is it about the character? Because obviously it's a long time since that book line existed. And people, people thing. still seem to have a passion for it. And what is it about these characters that keeps them alive? Because w- there's also Bernie Summerfield, which is the, obviously the most famous breakout character from that book line, who continued yes. to have her own book line yeah. w- in Virgin Publishing after the Doctor Who books yes. ended. And now we've got yeah. this guy as well. I know there's also a couple of other characters like Jason Kane that people yeah, talk about and, uh, as well. Iris Wildtime is yeah, a and Iris Wildtime. So who who is also in this one by the way if you like Iris if you like your Katie Manning. I noticed uh, from the I noticed from the cover. Yeah, that that wonderful yes. illustrated cover. Yeah, so what is yeah, it about got, Chris Chavez and what do you think it is more broadly about the Virgin New Adventures book line that keeps people okay. interested in m- making new stories about them after, you know, 25 30 years. So Chris Gervais in particular, I think that the main hook for bringing him back in particular is that initially in the Virgin New Adventures, he was fun. He kind of had its story and it had its beginning and its middle and its end. And everything was perfectly fine as peachy until Lawrence Miles attacked. And what he did is that he made a race of Chris Gervais clones called the Chevain. And, uh, they're just bopping around and that's very much what the basis of the book is we we've taken that and we've run with it so chris chevay that we're talking to is one of the chevayan and he he is chevay v uh, which is one of the different types of chevay you, you can excuse me taking a sip of water uh, I won't get into the nitty-gritty of the classifications right here, but suffice to say that it's all very well thought out. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to hit people over the head with the encyclopedia. <laughs> uh, but yeah, basically that... Uh, yeah, You know, there's a race of clones of this one dude knocking around, and they take... That's quite a sort of um, Django from... Fett idea, isn't it? Something like that, yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, the Chris that we follow, he takes orders semi-reluctantly from his superiors, which is also uh, Lawrence Miles' idea, which, uh, you know, may... i got to put this carefully. It is a legally distinct version of a Doctor Who concept that we don't have the license for that rhymes with blind lords. Okay. Right. Cool. Okay. So, so th- this I think communicates what it is about the project and about the Virgin New Adventures that keeps people coming back to them, that uh, is really core to the appeal of it, which is that it's weird and it's cheekily scribbling in the margins and it's, of yeah, Doctor and legally, legally dubious, right? Uh, oh, oh no, it's totally legal. Just to be clear on that point, it's <laughs> just that like we can't actually use the words Time Lord For or sure. Gallifrey, and and we have to like mess around a little bit, and you know. 
just to be totally clear on this point, Lawrence Miles has been doing this shit since 2002. It's fine. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If anyone was going to object, they would have done so a decade ago. <laughs> because all of the writers involved and everybody involved in the, even like the Bernie Summerfield stuff back in the day, yeah. they yeah. have the right to those characters. It's just that the, yeah. those characters' relationships with the world of Doctor Who are severed by the fact that you can't reference the, the, the world of Doctor Who directly. It's semi-severed. Mm. I think it's better to understand that, like, we've got our own little corner of the Doctor Who worlds to ourselves. And, and like, when it comes to other stuff, we can't, we, we basically have access. We just have to kind of talk in code. Like, we have to call the Master Koske, and we have to call the Doctor the Evil Renegade. So, really, like, the, the Doctor's shadow is in this a little bit. He's referred to as the Evil Renegade. Right. We under- it's, it's like that, that meme where it's, like copy your copy my homework but try and try and change it a bit so they don't know yeah something like that yeah (laughs) but but yeah i think this really gets at the whole thing which is that like apart from being a bit cheeky uh it's also just really weird like this is what people associate with the wilderness years and faction paradox which this has a good bit of overlap with in terms of like the content and the content and also some of the writers we've got rachel redhead in here and like we've got a few faction paradox concepts knocking around the whole idea so, of yeah, for the, was for created the un- by Lawrence Miles. Sure, for the uninitiated then, faction paradox are this sort of other race that were introduced in Doctor Who novels in the 90s and early 2000s yes. and then have, have spun off into their own book line and uh, yes. you know short stories and, and whatever else, right? And it, that is now self-governed by its own continuity. Yes, it's a cult of... It's a cult of weird time travel worshippers who worship paradoxes and do stuff like kill their own grandfathers. I love that. I think it's such an exciting idea. There's yeah, something magical uh, uh, about these wilderness years concepts that you don't really get in other corners of the Doctor Who universe. Yeah, and uh, especially, and this is one of the main things that I wanted to talk about, which is that you. I quite like the Jodie Whittaker era, controversially. I know that when you're a Doctor Who fan, you're meant to bitch about everything that's come out in the last 10 years, but actually, I like Doctor Who. Uh, But here's the thing. Even if you do like Doctor Who, like I do, uh, it's... uh, you, it's still easy to recognize that the Jodie Whittaker era is, like, less weird. Not 0% weird. You still have Jodie Whittaker gently breaking up with a frog. But ge- generally speaking, we've, we're have we a few degrees down yeah, from... We've said goodbye to weird a little bit, for sure. Yeah. 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 And even in the tie-in stuff, the tie-in stuff is, uh, you know, famously a bit more sanitized... You've got you've had a lot of discourse over the last few months about Time Lord Victorious, and I don't want to dive into that too much because I'm relatively optimistic mm. about Time Lord Victorious, and I enjoys the Rachel Stott comics uh, from it. But you know, I think that if what you want from Doctor Who and what you're missing from Doctor Who is the weirdness of it, then I don't think you're going to get much weirder than this, at least not in 2020, because uh, like. This is what has me really excited about this project. This is what has, this is what I really, really enjoyed about working on it. Is that some of this, some of the stuff that the other writers have come up with, is absolutely gonzo. Mm-hmm, it's just mm-hmm. so far out there. It's the nothing that you know, and I don't mean this as like 
and insults against Chris Jimmel, just like an observation. It's not something that he would greenlight. It's not, it's not something that fits into his vision of the show. And uh, so, so you've just got this mad stuff going off in, in, out in the margins, out where we have control. And uh, I, I'm just really, really enjoying it. I think that this is where the really exciting stuff is happening in the worlds of Doctor Who right now. That does sound exciting. Yeah. How how much then does it does do these stories feel like Doctor Who, and how much do they feel completely distant? You know, if you were to pick them up and you were somebody who didn't know that this was at all connected in any way to Doctor Who, would you would you pick up on the connection there? Would you see the influence, or would it seem just completely in another realm to Doctor Who? I think if you didn't know Doctor Who at all. Well, look. I'm, first I'm more of all, asking about somebody who who does know Doctor Who, but didn't, but came to this collection not knowing that it was related to Doctor Who. Would they would they pick up on the Doctor Who influence, or would they not? Uh, well, first of all, it's got from the worlds of Doctor Who written on the cover, so that's a bit of a tip off. But you know, <laughs> uh, broadly Asi- aside speaking, from I that, understand then. what you're yeah. asking. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you didn't know about it at all, then you would be able to read it for the most part. Like I said, there are two or three stories in there that are, like, for the fans, so to speak. And, like, those rule as well. I'm just talking about their goals. The The vast, vast majority of this book is written with the express design goal of being the beginning of a new series. And from there, if, you, if you're a Doctor Who fan, then you will be able to pick up on the influences. Like... Chris is kind of giving it a go at being his own doctor type figure. He's trying to take in a couple of disaffected youths who are aliens and to trying to take them in under his wing. And it's like, he's trying to mimic this person who it's been so long since he met, he doesn't even remember clearly. Right. Uh, uh, but, but it's just like, yeah, it, it's, it's almost like this distant father figure. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's, I suppose if you wanted to go more broad with it, it's like a look at what becomes of a companion's life when they've when the doctor has moved on. Yeah, what, yeah. what's the psychological effect? And it's you know it's not grim dark. It's not all doom and no. gloom. It's not like oh he's completely fucked up. Uh, Chris is a bit messed up, but there's broader reasons for that. He, sure. He's had some stuff going on. He, he's been cloned a few million times. Yeah, that that would mess anyone up. Is but, there a kind of meta narrative there as well of of with this sort of with this universe taking on its own life outside of mm-hmm. the kind of stepping outside the Doctor Who com- uh, continuity and kind of being its own thing and mm-hmm. you know not being governed by the Doctor Who license necessarily and stuff like that is there a mm-hmm. kind of a meta narrative that this is kind of what happens to a companion story when we completely you know, wrench them out of out of Do- the Doctor Who world. Yeah, well, I think it would. First of all, and I'm saying this as like I think it would be neat and cool to completely wrench a companion out of Doctor Who lore. I don't think that's really what's going on because there's a great deal of love for Doctor Who lore as well, and like if it's doing anything crazy with it it's usually more with the view of like messing around with it and welding bits of it onto other bits uh in a way that's like (laughs) not completely greek to newcomers okay that makes sense that makes sense 
and there's a diverse range of writers um on, yes in yes. the collection as well so there's there's people who actually wrote for the new adventures and then there's kind of younger newer writers like you yes um, yes uh, we've got a good, cool. wide range of uh prodigious non-binary zoomers uh, <laughs> uh and also uh we have like old hands like andy lane who wrote for the vnas the, sure. the 90s books and created the character of chris in the first place we've got uh we've got simon boucher and is now a, a really successful mainstream children's author as well right yes yes uh andy lane made his money young sherlock holmes yeah he used to yeah. visit the um the school that i used to teach at um quite a lot oh and um yeah i've told this story on the podcast before but um i one time i was standing sort of marshalling a school assembly and andy oh, lane yeah. is standing there in the in the hall and i'm looking uh-huh. at him like mm, that's andy lane he's a doctor who guy <laughs> and i and i saw andy lane clock my tardis tattoo oh. and sort of look at me like it <laughs> and then uh yeah he knew that i knew and, and i knew that he knew and it was all good <laughs> that's very good it's a nice moment that's awesome i like that so where does doctor who kind of begin for you then uh, more widely when do you become a doctor who fan um okay. how have you ended up being the kind of person who contributes to a uh to a story collection like this uh so so excuse me just taking a sip it no worries is, so it's 2011 i'm in barcelona I'm in a shopping centre on a school trip. A bit fancy of me. Very bourgeois. I know. Fucking put me up up against the wall when the revolution comes. Whatever. (laughs) I'm broke now. Uh, And uh, so I was going through the shopping centre and I came by the DVDs. I was looking through the DVDs, yada yada. And I came by a whole shelf of Doctor Who stuff. And I thought, you know what? My friends never shut up about Doctor Who. My friends on the internet. Let's give it a shot. I had 25 euro. And Series 5 had just come out. So Series 1, 2, 3, 4 were all 30 euro. And I thought... And uh, Series 5 was 25 euro. Some sort of special offer for the new thing. So I was like... Oh, well, if it's the only one I get, I can afford. I guess I'll jump in the middle. Uh, so I got it, and then I realized that I had no money left over for food. So that was a bit of a problem. <laughs> that put a bit of a fucking spanner in the works. Wor- but worth it, though, right? It was. It foreshadowed my f- my life priorities from that point onward. Which it, were, it, yeah, put Doctor Who Do- above Doctor food. Who over basic life necessities, yeah, correct. The Pyramid of Needs, completely of overshadowed needs. by Doctor Who at this point for you, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like the scribble D in, uh, just ends then like Comic Sans, Doctor Who. So you, so you take the D, the DVD box at home, and yeah, what, uh, yes, and, uh, and uh, what I, makes you I, fall I, in love? I, I remember you saying that uh, in the I believe Christine Kelly episodes that no one ever gets into Doctor Who slowly. No one ever checks out one episode and thinks, oh, I loved that, and then, like, digests you're, you're it. You're going to say that you rate. did do that, right? Yeah, I, I actually... Yeah, I actually did do that. Exception <laughs> that proves the rule. I, I can't take in information very very fast. I, I just... I have to let it sit. There's a lot in each episode of Doctor Who. I don't understand how people gobble it up, but also I do. I do understand how people gobble it up. 
but like yeah, I, I totally I see what you mean. I want to sit with it for a little while for the yeah. most part. And an episode uh, of Doctor Who is like its own little world, isn't it? It's not the sort of thing. Yeah, that's the whole format. Yeah, it's not like the sort of show where you can you can move seamlessly from one episode to the next and not really notice that the you know there's some shows you can kind of you can kind of just Netflix or also play the next one and it you yeah. won't really notice that it's moved on. Doctor Who's yeah, really like, not like that not like that at all and that's one of the reasons I love yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Like and even there are shows like uh Community and The Good Doctor, shows that I really enjoy that I'd be like I think of a good joke and uh, or a part that I enjoyed and I'd be like, what episode was that from? And I'd have no idea because I don't even really remember which episodes are which. It's it's just sort of a Absolutely. mess. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, and like, you know, that's not even that. That's not even a criticism. No, not at all. Shows, it's just a different fair. kind it's of show. Just, yeah. It's just a Doctor Who rules. I, I do prefer the, this thing where each episode is completely its own thing. Yeah. And I think you really don't get that in Netflix era. No, because, you don't. Because now, you know, not 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 to rag on about it when people have talked about it so much, but people when they're writing episodes in the streaming era, they don't always even structure them as episodes. There isn't like a nice meeting midpoint. In, You're in so the, right, and yeah. I think that's true even outside of fiction as well. There's a show on yeah. Netflix at the moment um, that that people love called Selling Sunsets. I don't know if you've heard mm-hmm. of it. Uh, what's it about? It's this reality show about these women that that sell, that are basically um, estate agents that sell these mm-hmm. enormous um, properties in America. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to let those fireworks go off for a second and I'm going to carry on my point. Oh, they're going off. They're really going off. If they go off while you're talking, it's fine because I can just cut it out. But when, when, it's, <laughs> when I'm talking, hang yeah. on a second. Sorry about that, Mark. If they go off while I'm talking, it doesn't matter because who cares? I'm yeah. just talking about some '90s bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, come on! I wonder. I wonder if they're going off <laughs> because Biden won. Gonna... Oh, I wish. No, I'm. I'm actually. I've got the results open in my screen right now, and and unfortunately, okay. that's not yet the case. And I use the word "yet" optimistically. I'm so sorry. I, I I'm just gonna. Oh my god! Whatever. It it sounds cool. They're really they're really going off on one. I guess this yeah. doesn't happen in Ireland. We have fucking fireworks in. Oh, you mean November I mean, the fifth? I mean November the fifth. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't. Uh, that's I don't. Like just mean like you don't have fireworks yet in your backward I, country. I'm sorry. I don't know why I assumed the most like <laughs> bitchy thing there. <laughs> oh God. It's just that when uh, I hear in an English accent, you don't have this in Ireland, do you? It's usually about, like, the internet or some <laughs> shit. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> you were right to be defensive, though. It's fair enough. Yeah. Cool. I'm going to I'm gonna quickly... <laughs> no, I wasn't. I was literally incorrect. I'm quickly going to carry on um, with my point. Yeah. So it's okay. the show about these women that sell these massive houses, but there's a, it's, it's not really about that. It's just about them and their glamorous lives, and it's a bit of a sort uh-huh. of... Um, reality but it's not thing like made in chelsea or or geordie shore or something like that oh yeah yeah um yeah. and i was i watched a couple of episodes of it because one of my flatmates was into it and i don't uh-huh. hate trash tv like i don't hate reality tv like there's plenty yeah, of reality yeah. tv that i enjoy but uh-huh. there's just no structure to it like it just it's just a bunch of stuff happening you, yeah it's just like a bunch of stuff you don't if you walked in in the middle of an episode you wouldn't know 
whether you were watching the beginning, the mid- middle, or the end of the episode. Whereas I yeah. prefer stuff like that has a that has a clear format and a clear structure, even even yeah. if it's not fictional. And I think yeah. in in the Netflix era, we're losing that because it just becomes this long threat, doesn't it? Of, of it becomes a ten hour movie, yeah. as many yeah, people yeah, have yeah. said before. Why not just make a ten hour movie? <laughs> well, there are lots of reasons you shouldn't make a ten hour movie, but I, you know, I agree with what you're driving at. Yeah. Um, anyway, th- I forget how we got went down that tangent now. I think it, I think you were talking about what had inspired you so much about watching Doctor Who when you first watched it, weren't you? Oh yes, of course. Uh, podcasts are all about tangents. That's just how you get. No, they are. Hour. I know. I know. I'm I'm usually I'm usually very um very open to it. Um, but yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, what? So okay, I have the box set, and I watch the Eleventh Hour, and I'm like, hell yeah! And uh, uh, then I and then I watch Beast Below, and then I'm like, hell yeah! And then I watch Victory of the Daleks, and I'm like, hmm. And then I go away for a while, and then I come back and I gobble up the rest of the season. I mean, that makes sense. Victory of the Daleks is absolutely the weak link in that season, and I can see why it would put you yeah. off. I mean, yeah, yeah. Even I, I know I'm coming of off the... as like insanely anti-Brit here, but you gotta bear in mind that like you you just got a big shot of like the the Union flag yeah. flying, and I'm like, mm, I mean, mm. it, it. I think it. You know, it rubs a lot of people up the wrong way. The uh, yeah. the whole Doctor being best pals with Churchill thing is. Yeah. Oh well, I was like iffy. sixteen and too stupid to give a shit. Yeah, <laughs> I mean uh, that nowadays just sits really bad. Give it another ten years, yeah. and it's gonna look even worse. But even in spite of yeah. that, the episode just isn't very good. Yeah, um, I, I can yeah. see why it turned you off. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I'm glad, I didn't yeah, even I'm hate the episode that it. much. Yeah, but it, it it it's just like that specific thing was like blah, blah, and, and like. Yeah, but but like even even though I was kind of like slow to jump into it, uh, I I really loves Eleventh Hour, so uh, I guess sort of the headline here is that my entry point to Doctor Who was the Moffat era, right around twenty eleven going into twenty twelve. So my entry point was the Moffat era, right when the Moffat discourse was super kicking off, and like I don't want to wade into a fucking documentary about the. Moffat discourse too much but you know that obviously shaped my engagements with the show because the entire conversation around the show was geared towards that and it's kind of like picking it apart for sure yeah and uh i i liked series six uh the first time i watched it I, i've kind of cooled on it since i was frustrated with series seven as it was coming out, but that's because I was kind of being sw- that's largely at least because I was being swayed by the cultural conversation around it. Uh, and so you were being was... groomed by the anti Moffat cult. <sighs> I, I you know, I too fell to the same fate, and then you know, and we've recovered, and it's all fine now, and we love Stephen Moffat, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, honey. I may be overstating that, but there's, is there some truth to that for you? Uh, yeah, sure. Broad lines, broadly along those lines. I was never hardcore. Stephen Moffat is the best, or Stephen Moffat is the worst. Well, I think maybe at the very early point, I was like, "Whoa, this is so cool! The crack, the 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 the, the crack in time. That's cool." And, and, and but like, once I kind of got past that point, I was like, 
a, a bit more nuanced about it, I suppose. But yeah, uh, at, at this point, I'm pretty firm on Stephen Moffat being good, actually, or at least interesting. Yeah. And, and he's produced a lot of fucking fantastic work. And then presumably at some point you go from somebody who's sitting enjoying these box sets to uh-huh. somebody who is, you know, is into online fandom and has met people online and is writing about Doctor Who and yeah, is blogging uh, about Doctor Who and stuff like that. I had an in, uh, an unusual trajectory on this in that uh, in 2014, I went to university for the first time. I went to NUI Galway. And in NUI Galway, there was and still is the Time Lord Society, which is a little gaggle of nerds who hang out and talk about Doctor Who and watch it and uh, also talk about other things. It, it, it's, it's a mechanism for nerds to meet up and be friends. And uh, I got into that, and uh, I ended up on the committee for it. Uh, with, with, interestingly, I, I just like hung out with them for two years, and then they put me on the committee without me asking. You, you know, like with my consent. That I happens with university they, societies, yeah. in my experience, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they just voted me on. Uh, and like, I, in third year, I made a bunch of posters, and uh, <clears throat> while I was doing my master's, I was also... Uh, uh, doing the books I was uh, farting around with the finance website that wasn't very clear Mm. so I've really put the hours into Doctor Who fandom I've (laughs) I've I've like I've like done dull work for the sake of Doctor Who fandom sure and uh, but yeah I during my master's year I came across a little blog called uh, Sheffield Steel, a little series called that by uh, Sam Molesky, mm, and uh, mm, I just fell in po- love with this. Friend of the podcast, Sam Molesky. Friend of the pod, friend of the pod, uh, and uh, yeah, I just fell Who in love with this. also features in, the, in the, the book, right? In the new book. Yes, yes. Oh, like, we've got lots of praise for uh, Sam Molesky's story, Hearts of Gold in particular, the premise of which is... Uh, what if dating apps were evil and wanted to kill you? Yeah, very far What, what do you mean, stuff. what if? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah. So you discovered it's... Sheffield Steel and that was kind of the springboard into... Uh, making some friends, yeah. yeah and, and, and writing your own stuff. And Yeah, yeah, and like... I, I hung out with a bunch of people. I got involved with a bunch of fan projects like uh, Clara Oswald's The Untold Adventures and the 12th Doctor fan audios, uh, uh, which some of you may have heard of. I would recommend them. And, like, it's funny because it's all kind of the same mode. It's all kind of doodling in the margins. It's just that this is officially sanctioned or at least officially tolerated in some capacity. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that that's where I'm at now, and like from there it was just kind of a simple chain of consequence. From I say that I'm an editor for hire, someone hires me to edit, and uh, then says, and then like stuff needs doing, so I do it. Yeah, I think that's the thing with anything creative, Doctor Who or otherwise. It's about just taking it by both hands and just being a bit yes. of a bit of a yes person for a bit. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm super into being a yes person, especially since like. It's canon Doctor Who, and I was like, hell yeah! Uh, 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 and, like, even yeah. when it's, like... Even when I was moving the commas around, I was like, hell yeah, I'll move the commas around for Doctor <laughs> Who! And then, I like, love that I, energy. Yeah, and, and now I'm... Uh, and then I got to 
co-writes, to be clear, co-writes a story, co-writes yeah. the last story, uh, Rebel Rebel, by myself and uh, Mr. Charles Whit. Okay. What, yeah, was... What's that like, co-writing? Because I've, I've you know, written fiction, I've written, I've written um, poetry and plays mainly, and, and I've never even attempted to co-write anything, and I can't imagine what that process would be like. Uh, it's weird. Uh, it the whole book is an intensely collaborative project, but it's like the last one even more so. I don't think that there's one way to do it. Like mm. this was just like something that arose from circumstance. Uh, but basically, it was a case of Charles did a draft, and Charles sort of set out the plot. I didn't really change much about the plot, and then uh, I uh, and then it's time to rewrite and for various for various reasons Charles was not Charles wasn't really available to do like a proper redraft so i just said oh well i'll go i'll go in there and i'll like one step up from editing i'll like really go into the weeds and just like write new sentences sure <laughs> and and uh yeah, so so that's what i did and uh like i have i added i cut a few new scenes and like a lot of like the sentence to sentence stuff is stuff that I've written, but the broader strokes of the plot mm. are Charles's idea. Okay, uh, so, so that's you, uh, you. You were the Chris Chibnall to to his Mallory Blackman, then something like that. Although uh, I'm not sure I would pitch it that way. <laughs> uh, this this is a pretty unusual situation, and sure. it's something that arose from practicalities. But like basically everything in all these creative situations, uh, yeah, kind of arise. I, I think the pitch here is more that uh, is for the Doctor's wife, I'm the Stephen Moffat to Charles's Neil Gaiman. Okay. Which, which is that uh, Neil... <laughs> That's Neil, probably a, uh, was, a less provocative analogy. ...didn't finish analogy. the dra- drafting process, and uh, yeah. uh, I, I, ca- I came in to help out. Yeah. So, so, so like, And has it made you want to do more fiction writing in future? Uh, yes. Uh, I can't talk too much about this, but you... I think you can reasonably expect more Chris Chavez adventures from me in particular in the future. Ooh, that's and, exciting. Uh, and generally speaking, you can absolutely expect uh, more books with Chris Chavez in the future. Fantastic. Uh, under the stewardship of Hunter O'Connell, who's the project manager and who has made all this happen. Uh, yeah, Hunter's just been extraordinarily enthusiastic and helpful and uh, just a real pleasure to work with through the whole thing fantastic um i'm so excited to kind of see what people think about the collection and for yeah for more to be on its way shall we do unpopular opinions heck yeah heck yeah now uh (laughs) maybe it's risky for me to go onto the unpopular opinion podcast when i'm trying to plug something because like if i actually annoy anyone then it's going to be like you're not going to annoy anyone look i've been doing this for 3 years and i've never no. i've i've not yet received an angry email i've received a few angry tweets but that's usually just about me being trans not about the fact <laughs> that, I, that I, of anything i've said about doctor who so Aww. what Dang. Yeah. well i f- i feel like you have to double down i feel like you have to go harder just 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 say shit that you don't believe just do random shit That's, yeah 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 that that makes most sense doesn't the it? jfk assassination was on earthly child's fault <laughs> uh yeah uh okay my unpopular opinion is that rose is on- rose tyler is only okay and here's why brackets i think that close brackets uh 
yeah. Why, and why do you think that? And by okay. only okay, you mean you're sort of positing this because fandom at large loves Rose so much and you're kind of trying to knock her down a peg or two. Is that right? Something like that. I know okay. that there's no such thing as a Doctor Who fan who dislikes Rose Tyler. I know that I'm like not the only person in this camp. But the general received wisdom is that Rose Tyler and Billy Piper are the viewpoint character for Series 1. They set the grammar for the show and that uh, it was successful enough that it, the show became a hit and from there allows the show to carry on. And I think the implication there is that like we owe it to the concept of Rose Tyler to like not be too hard on it in like looking back and reevaluating or anything because like that's just throwing it back at someone who you like built the empire that we're standing in now but the thing is rose tyler isn't real so i can be a bitch to her if i want to no one's gonna get hurt uh so yeah i suppose the thing is and like it's been said a million times and i do recognize that like it's easy it's easy to take rose tyler for granted because it's easy to forget that that concept of a companion and the way of writing a companion like that just didn't exist before Russell T. Davies went ahead and did it. Ace was a step toward it. Rose Tyler is like the Omega. I'm going to take a sip. You take a sip. You go ahead and take a sip. Yeah, here's the thing. Have you seen it... that um, that video of, of that's like um, Anakin is lactose intolerant? the Star Wars meme? No, no, no. Tell me about the Star Wars meme. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you. It's this <laughs> video of, you know, the scene where he, Anakin gets refused um, when he wants to be a Jedi Master and they're like, no. In uh, Revenge yeah, of the yeah, Sith. And, sure. um, yeah. and Mace Windu says to him, take a seat. And someone <laughs> online has changed it so that he says, take a sip. And he's holding a glass of milk. <laughs> and um, Hayden Christensen just looks furious. You should watch it anyway. Um, <laughs> do carry on. Rose Tyler. Okay. Great, great, great stuff. Thanks for the Star Wars meme. Uh, love a good prequel meme in the morning. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, set the grammar. All well and good. Here's the thing that I would use as an analogy. I'm looking across the room here. I'm looking at my Mario Odyssey poster. Uh, a, a, bi a, a big girl. A chonker. And... Uh, Mario Odyssey is the game that Nintendo created with the express design aim of creating what you think Mario 64 was, what you remember it as. Because if you go back and try to play Mario 64 now, and I know this because I did it when 3D All-Stars came out, you just get pissed off at the camera and the shitty controls and you give up after like 12 stars because it's not fun. And, like, that's kind of my experience of Rose Tyler to a lesser extent, which is that, like, it's neat because it, it introduces this idea of, like, really centering the companion in the story and, like, oh, the, the second episode really, like, solidifies the relationship and the friendship between Rose and the Doctor and it really sells that and it all just feels structured in a way that's more exciting and feels more modern whatever that might mean and more satisfying than uh classic who but <laughs> but the thing is and this is my sticking point is that 
Rose isn't very nice to the people in her life. Oh, at not all. at all. She's an incredibly she, she, selfish she, she, person. She, 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 she's like a super selfish person. Like, uh, and uh, it, it, like you have every three episodes of season one, you have a story where Rose is just absolutely fucking nuts. And then you go to the next week and it's, it's like, oh, Rose is in danger. Oh, no. Oh, no. And it's like, <laughs> listen. You can't expect me not to get a little bit of vicarious pleasure out of Rose nearly dying. It's, it's like, in a, obviously in a real-life situation I would be bummed out, but, like, this is a person on a fucking TV screen. If you expect me to be, like... <laughs> like, in, I think, Aliens of London World War Three, there's a whole thing where, like, Rose comes back and Mickey says, no, I haven't seen anyone. And Rose's like, oh, that's so sweet. And Mickey's like, yeah, it's because everyone thought I killed you. Yeah. She's like, so we, wow, this you is fucked up I, this person's yeah. entire life. Jackie's Something I've discussed on the podcast a couple of times lately is is the whole weird thing about Mickey being a murder suspect in that story and how it, yeah. it's kind of a bit of flavor that Russell puts in that is then entirely glossed over. Yeah. And it... Yeah, it's sort of just seen as oh well, like that's an that's yeah. unfortunate, but fine, yeah, months we'll just ago, move on. Months ago, I uh, to I asked Elizabeth Sandifer a question about this when she was doing a Q and A for a Kickstarter, and I said, "How do you feel that Mickey's race factors into series one and two? And she said that apart from that one bit, it doesn't, and that's a problem. And I do think that's a problem. But yeah, just. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, she cheats on her boyfriend, she ruins his life, she clearly fucking traumatizes Jackie completely and totally, and, uh, then she goes off and is like, and she, she, she like, flirts a bunch with Adam from Dalek slash The Long Game, yep. like, the yep. most mediocre man in uh, the fucking galactic disc. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, like, there was a bit of a thing there, like, she... There's a reason that Adam was brought along from. I mean, yeah, he was deliberately cast right. to be a bit of a heartthrob, um, oh. and that actor was like known for being in Coronation Street um, as a heartthrob, God. and obviously now that uh, it that leads a bad t- bad taste in everybody's mouth. For what it's worth, it never occurred to me that he was meant to be hot. No offense to actually, full offense to Bruno Langley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he was known for playing a character called Todd in Coronation Street. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, this ties like into... One of the first gay the characters on TV ever. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. Well, that, that, that tracks with Russell D. Davies' whole thing. For sure. Yeah, and, and, like, just the whole thing with Jack, and, like, it's interesting, because Stephen Moffat, God bless him, he, uh, it's almost like he tries to, like, subtly retcon... The Rose's whole deal into making a little bit more sense when uh, he writes Jack using the psychic paper to suss out Rose's whole deal as being like, oh, you say you're sort of attached you know, to you know, to uh, Mickey Smith, but you consider yourself footloose and fancy, fancy free. Yeah. If Rose was made clear to only be sort of attached to Mickey, then that would make everything work so much better. But right from this, right from like that first little montage, which is very like economical, you see that that they're together, and he's into her, but she's not really into him. But they get along. But it's so like if that's not actually a relationship, 
then so then you would want to communicate that earlier and uh oh i mean i think that's the that's the point that steven's making in the script mm -hmm. really though isn't it that Mm -hmm. it is a relationship and those are the term you know it's an exclusive relationship and they both understand it under those terms but that she considers herself footloose fancy bringing available and I mean yeah. that's very typical Stephen in that he's yeah. he treats um infidelity and yeah romantic betrayal as a as a farcical comic trope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh yeah, I think and I don't want to go into this too much because I it could be tangent city, but uh yeah. I think Rory is almost like taking is almost like Stephen Moffat taking his own swing at the same idea but like just pushing it in a different direction so that uh the mickey has his day and like i think that there was some resistance to that read because like it just came along right at the time that uh a lot of people on tumblr discovers the nice guy trope and yeah as a result if a man is morally good and gets the girl because of it then that's sexist question mark yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily a problem with Rory, though. I don't. I don't yeah. see Rory as like a nice yeah. guy, capital N, capital G, at all. Uh-huh. I don't uh-huh. get that from him. I, I don't. I don't get the the sense that if Amy said no, he would continue to pursue her, which I think is is a a feature of the nice guy trope, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of the main thing, and like a sense of entitlement. Yeah, but, I don't uh, get that yeah. from from Rory at all. Yeah, no, uh, and like people were really pushing this circa twenty twelve, including people who I think would who I would expect to know better. But whatever, there was something weird in the water at that time. I, I don't judge too harshly. Yeah, I think also there's a sense with yeah with both Rory and Mickey yeah. that that as the as the young woman. Or mm-hmm. as the young women and as the Doctor Who companions, mm-hmm. Amy and Rose are are sort of allowed a license to uh, cheat or to mm-hmm. uh, you know um, take advantage of their loved ones in a way that the boyfriends are not. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Which is which is weird, but I think not necessarily toxic or anything. Uh, it's not the worst thing in the world, but uh, it does. I, I I really have just gone ahead and segued into Rory, but it's a connected topic. I think when you a controversial point in Asylum of the Daleks was the line where Rory says, uh, first principle of a relationship: you, uh, I love you more than you love me," and people were, people were like freaked out about this. But I was like, well, I can see why you would think that something to do with the 2000 years this is something to do with uh, her making out with another man on uh, on the night before the wedding sure that that could be a whole thing like i i I get it i do but like the line certainly worked for me uh, even when like well especially a lot of the surrounding plot didn't work for me yeah especially something he says in the heat of the moment yeah 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 (laughs) what what else about rose then do we think is you know what else does she do that is selfish and uncomfortable uh, in you know if we if we look back on it uh that 
the the Mickey thing is the main thing where I trip up on it, and I suppose I should give the caveat that I don't think that like cheating is like the most terrible or ir irredeemable thing. It's not something that someone can move past. Someone is unable to move past or like make amends for. It's just that, like, I don't think that the story handles it as well as it could have. Well, I and think like... there's a Russell makes attempts in Rose mm -hmm. to kind of paint Mickey as unsympathetic by, yeah. you know, there's that scene where he tells Rose not to look at her his emails. He, mm -hmm. you know, he immediately tells her to take her clothes off as soon as she turns up at his flat. There's a bit where he is, uh, he's trying to persuade her to go to the pub by pretending that it's uh that he's concerned for her but actually he yeah. just wants to go watch the football so he puts in all these little touches that are yeah. meant to signify oh this yeah. guy's a bit of a shitty boyfriend and then and then yeah. from then on we can support rose in whatever exploit she chooses to to do yeah yeah but actually i think noel clark's performance is so likable that it undercuts it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I it undercuts almost, all those like, I don't details. want to talk shit about Noel Clark, but like when I, when I was watching him, and you know, maybe this is the point. Maybe this is just me telling on myself. But even like the "don't look at my emails" thing. <laughs> well, yeah, don't. What's wrong with that? <laughs> They're his yeah, emails. Well, yeah, but also the lines there to imply that he's got something to hide. I guess a regular person would. Yes, they would assume that that their significant yeah, okay. other wouldn't, you know, pry in their emails. But they would also yeah. not feel the need to say, "Don't look I at my emails." So. You know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't tell my girlfriend, "Don't look yeah. at my emails." Um, I suppose so. Yeah. What about yeah? What about her kind of attitude to her old life? There's a scene in yeah. the Parting of the Ways where she is in a cafe with Mickey and Jackie, and she. Yes. She sort of says, well, I can't sit here and eat chips anymore. Like, the world's bigger than this. And then she storms off and has a bit of a tantrum. Th uh, that's always yeah. kind of... I've always loved that scene. But there's also mm -hmm. something quite uncomfortably classist about it. No? <laughs> okay, I'll go ahead and say... it. <laughs> Uh, I'll elaborate on your opinion for you. Uh, let, let me, yeah, I, actually, I think you're onto something there. That like it is kind of uh, associating like the boring life with uh, the sort of the architecture and the aesthetic and the whole vibe of working class London. But then, like, I get it because like that is alienating. That is like something that a lot of eighteen year olds who are like who dropped out of school and whatever, or like sure. even outside of being that specific, a lot of 18 year olds who are basically down on their luck and don't seem to have a ton of prospects since they're, mm -hmm. they don't have, and they're working in a shop. I can see why they would be bummed out by that. And like, mm. this or, is the or people thing. whose, whose world is bigger in some other way, like Russell himself, yeah. who, you know, is an LGBT yeah. person who must have felt constrained by whatever conditions he grew up in. Sure. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, like, this is a big thing that a lot of people said was their favorite thing about Doctor Who. That, like, it implied that they... It, that it's not about the planets. It literally, as Rose says, that it's not about the planets. It's about a different way of living your life. And just, like, getting up there and seizing the day and yada yada. And, uh, you know, I think that works. Uh, when, when I do have gripes about Rose, it's not about that. That vibe, that vibe really works for me. That whole thing. <laughs> the the only part of that scene that it doesn't one hundred percent work for me is the part where they're saying, 
oh, there's a new chipper out. Oh, what do they do? Chips. Oh, which I thought was a bit like funny, but a bit on the nose, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's maybe a bit much. <laughs> uh-huh. But uh, yeah, uh, like I said, I think that Rose Tyler is basically basically okay rather than like bad. It's just that there's a lot of parts with her whole deal that I find difficult. Well, the main thing we get from Rose Tyler is mm-hmm. is that we didn't get from... Oh, I'm hearing some noises. Is there a, a bike going past you or something? There is a bike going past me. Apologies yeah. for that. No, that's but, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, the main thing you get from Rose for me that you don't you didn't get from companions before Rose, maybe Ace uh-huh. a little bit, but mm-hmm. she really wants to travel with the Doctor. And she she would do anything to keep traveling with the Doctor, which is not really something... You know, other com- companions before her had enjoyed it, but they'd not been doing it purely because they enjoyed it. Do you know what I mean? It, it was because they uh-huh. had nowhere else to go, whatever. Mm-hmm. And that, that makes Rose the kind of blueprint for a new kind of Doctor Who companion, doesn't it? Yeah, where like, it's a lot about the relationship between the two and, uh, uh, you know, moving towards a degree of like psychological realism. Or like, or at least you know the aesthetic of psychological realism for put sure it that way. Yeah. What about what ultimately happens to Rose then? I guess both uh, both well, in Doomsday and in Journey's End. Uh okay, damn. Uh, Doomsday and Journey's End. Yeah, I like look. The episode basically works, right? I'm not gonna tell you that I it wasn't like oh emotions etc etc. It's it's all tied up in Mickey as well, I suppose. Uh, Mickey and Jackie, and Jackie is like a bit easier to swallow because uh, yeah, you know, J- and Jackie like reunites with Pete, and it's like that's a little that's a little bit uh, you get giving it the fairy tale eh, fairy tale ending, but like it works and it's fi- and it does feel good. So, well, yeah, I've uh, often and, found and that that like, that part of yeah. Doomsday. Yeah. The the Jackie Pete yeah. reunion scene yeah. affects me even more than the than the yeah. the Doctor Rose goodbye yeah. scene yeah. in terms of yeah. my emotional response. Yeah, yeah, because it's like a mirror. Yeah, you know, like it's you've got you've got your sad ending overall, but you've yeah. also got this like beautiful thing uh, in the mix. Mm. Uh, yeah, and like for Mickey, I feel like weirdly because rose is the protagonist you would think that rose would go through the most change and rose does go through change but it feels like mickey is going through the bulk of like he starts off kind of like boring and uh incurious yeah he's yeah he's got a certain attitude to the rest of the world that he doesn't terribly want to know about it uh and, and he just sort of wants to stay in his cozy little corner and stay put and uh you know by the end of it he's like Swinging around with a gun, uh, paging Doctor Freud, etc., etc., and uh, he he's a big adventurer in his own right. And it's weird because like that's exactly the point where Rose you would think would be more into him, and it's also exactly the point where like he loses interest in Rose because but he's grown out of he, her by then. He he's he's grown out of her, and like as soon as he kind of has he's grown as soon as he's grown up a bit, and as soon as he is confident enough in himself and his abilities that he's willing to go out into the world and seize the day. He, you know, doesn't tell Rose to fuck off or anything. He still has a good deal of, like, respect and affection for her, but he does, like, pretty firmly indicate to her that, like, he's done and he's not waiting around anymore. Yeah, he's not interested anymore. 
Yeah. Is and there like a sense that the other characters around Rose then, like Mickey, uh, uh, they they grow more because mm-hmm. Rose is there to hold a mirror up to the viewer, and and uh, Rose is there. To, her job is to learn what Doctor Who is, isn't it? R- rather than yes, yes. Rather she than starts to really in grow as a character. Coronation Street, and she learns what show she's in. She mm. steps over into Doctor Who. But it, but it sort of feels like a a kind of self discovery, rather than rather than with Mickey, where it feels like his change feels like genuine transformation, whereas with Rose, it feels like she's accessing a part of herself that was always innate. Yeah, basically, that she's discovering opportunities for herself, opportunities that like, uh, like the viewer, if if you're like. And, like, I don't mean to patronize or anything, but, you know, if one is a 15-year-old girl who's watching this and feels that they're being held down by the world and circumstances and they're just not being afforded opportunities and they could, like, really show the world just who they are if they were given the opportunity to do so, then, like, Doctor Who is a fun escapist fantasy for that. And, you know, it... (laughs) Obviously, finding a spaceship and going off into the world can be an allegory for... A lot of things. For sure, especially those things that are, yeah, that are about self-discovery. And again, I'm thinking about the LGBT Uh kind of allegory you can draw in that often transformation, whether for, uh, you know, gay people or trans people or bisexual people or whatever, is about understanding an element that that you felt was always there rather than rather than you know it can be transformation for some people it, yeah. it is transformation but yeah. it, it feels like yeah it feels like an unveiling which i think is how it feels for rose yes uh yeah she, in her own way she regenerates yeah <laughs> but, for sure for sure yeah yeah and uh i i suppose that you could say that for any character who has character developments that comes into your line of vision in doctor who but with rose i think it's especially pertinent yeah and especially she's the blueprint for like, it as well since so. a lot of viewers were introduced to the a whole idea of regeneration when for sure. uh, it was kind of thrown at, at them in, at the last minute in, yeah in parting of the ways what about in journey's end then where she she ends up becoming this kind of custodian for this copy of David Tennant's Doctor. That's a bit weird. I don't. I don't know if I one hundred percent vibe it. I don't hate it. I, I'm not sure if it works. <laughs> I I, sure. I like it when I now that mm-hmm. I I started I've started to read it as this is an imaginary world where David Tennant and Billy Piper <laughs> never left Doctor Who, and we can and we can never watch that. But you know, people know it's there, and it's probably not very good. Oh man, like there's there's a short story. Uh, I believe I believe it's a Jenny T. Colgan short story that kind of like follows along in that world, and uh, obviously you have like Dimension Canon as well. Uh, yes, which I've I have I must say I've never I've never ventured into Dimension Canon or anything like that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, God God help me if if there's, you know, I I enjoy that era of the show. I respect it. I don't want them to bring back David Tennant and Billy Piper. And yet and yet I do have a good deal of patience for Time Lord Victorious. If only because like it's it's part of that school of Doctor Who tie-in stuff that's self-consciously a throwback. Mm. And yeah. it's a throwback, but and, and I'm saying this as somebody who's not consumed any of the Time Lord Victorious stuff yet. Yeah. Yeah. But 
it it feels like it's a tieback that is accessing mm-hmm. something that the show kind of couldn't access. You know, it seems like a a different kind of story that maybe we couldn't have seen on screen. And you do yeah. get those weird idiosyncratic details like like Brian the Ood and stuff yeah. like that 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 do feel very um kooky and Doctor Who yeah. and yeah. You know, it's not all gun. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I've so far I have read the Defenders of the Daleks comics, which is two comics and that are the size of four comics, if you understand me. Two okay. bumper issues. Yeah. And uh, I suppose, broadly speaking, you could it, you say that it's a bit gun because you know there's a fight in it, mm. and like the Daleks are there. But you know, I think just. The idea of bringing back the Emperor Dalek, which looks silly, and it's got a big, huge, round bit that's yeah. bigger than the rest of it. Like, like there's just a kind of endearing dorkiness to that on its own. For sure. Like, James Goss is a writer. Obviously, James Goss is like, even he's not written all of it, but he's... he's James of, Goss did the story. Yeah, exec produced the whole thing. And he is the yeah. kind of writer who is prone to these kind of silly, um, indulgent... Yeah. Uh, kind of uh, daft ideas and yes. yeah i think people are under- underestimating james goss a little bit in the when they're assessing the quality or lack thereof of, of time lord victorious he's done a lot of stuff yeah. i like and he's i think yeah. he's an interesting creative mind actually yeah yeah absolutely i he he seems like a lovely guy and uh you know i think there have definitely been frustrations with how Time Lord Victorious has been marketed and with how it's been structured. But I'm kind of taking James at his word that it's a festival. And I think what he almost means when it's a festival is that the overall shape of it doesn't really matter. It's just sort of a bunch of Doctor Who stuff that's coming out at once and it kind of staples together. Yeah. Uh, and I think if they were all if they were almost more clear about that, people would sort of, like, nod and go along with it. Uh, because, you know, what's the overarching story? What's it actually about? Yeah, that's the question <laughs> people keep different asking. Different parts I, are about different things. I think it needs... I, I do think it needs... Even if different parts are about different things, and it would... Uh-huh. You know, even if you're going with a, a disingenuous one-line li- one um, yeah. synopsis... I think a one-line synopsis was needed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Even yeah. if you say, yeah, it's all all over the place and it's all these little stories and it's not yeah. necessarily, yeah. you know, uh, as related as you might think yeah. or, it, you know, yeah. some of these things are only tangentially related. I think yeah. it, you still need, in the middle of that, you yes. need a one-line thing of the Doctor yeah. goes and does this and he yeah. faces this problem. You know, I yeah, think yeah. otherwise you're looking at it and going, okay, but what... Yeah, what is, is linking all these things together other than the, the three-word phrase Time Lord Victorious. Time Lord Victorious. Yeah, I um, kind of jumped in out of like curiosity and brand loyalty and you're not going to get everyone like that. Oh, for so, sure. So, you know, that, that's I, I, my... I'm uh, still super excited by it. Yeah, that's my uh, feedback for the marketing, at least. Uh, the 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 story so far seems pretty cool, though. Uh, it's it's kind of like... When you said one-line synopsis, you remind me, reminds me of a thing I did... Uh, Apart from all of my uh, serious canon contributions, I also run a Twitter account with my friend Jean Bartels uh, <laughs> called Doctor Who, but it's Community. <laughs> and uh, okay. I, did, I, I did one with, uh, of uh, David Tennant at like the last scene of The Waters of Mars, you know, where it's like snowing outside and uh, he's talking to the lady. When he's and, gone too far. Yeah, with the, 
yeah, where he's gone too far. And uh, he says, Lord, oh, I'm telling Lord Victorious in the first place. And, uh, but, and I redubbed it over to, of all the timelines, this is clearly the darkest, which is why I propose we commit to being evil. From now on, I am evil, Doctor. <laughs> which is what happens. It's, it's canon. I love that. I love yeah. it. People should follow that. Doctor Hubert is community. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a DW but community. So uh, yeah, delightful. Uh, thanks for having me on to promote my Twitter account and also this book I'm in. I guess. Yeah. Speaking of which, um, could you remind people? Because I'm going to wrap up now. Could you remind people of the name of the book and where to find it, and also uh-huh. uh, where to find you and all your other stuff on Twitter? Okay. Well, the book is called Quedge. I'm going to, to do this the simplest way. It's called Quedge down the middle. How about that? Uh, C- it, C-W-E-J. Down, uh, yeah. And uh, there, there's an Amazon link, but Amazon fucking sucks for hyperlinks. So let me just pull up Arc Beetle Press. Uh, Arc Beetle Press. Da, da, da. You could have uh, stopped at Am- Amazon fucking sucks, really, couldn't you? Uh, yeah, uh, you know, it's wild because Amazon has so much power that anyone who sells anything on Amazon can just openly be like, Amazon fucking sucks. Amazon is garbage. I hate Amazon. It's evil. Fuck it. And uh, Amazon will be like, I don't care. Yeah. We're the only show in town. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, uh, if you go to the Arc Beetle Press Twitter, which is A-R-C-B-E-A-T-L-E Press. Uh, then we're posting the link all over the place all the time. And that's probably the easiest way to get to any Amazon page, unfortunately. I would love to have a slightly tidier answer for you. Mm. but uh, Well, it's, it, I think it's it's pinned at the top of your Twitter as well, isn't it? Um, yes, it is. Okay. And speaking of my Twitter, uh, you can find me at Loafers Rights. Loafers as in the shoe and rights as in the present tense verb. Uh, and there I make dumb jokes and also i do a witcher podcast a podcast about netflix's the witcher with my friends fantastic yeah fantastic and you can um follow me on twitter at molly underscore martian you can find the podcast at galactic yo-yo pod on twitter and you can email me at galactic yo-yo pod at gmail.com um thank you so much i do not know when this podcast is going to be out so I've tried to. I've tried to. We avoid are, by it. the way, and I, I'm sorry to direct the conversation. No, a go ahead. But we are recording this on the fifth of November, so we don't know who the United States president is going to be. We don't so, know yet, do we? That that Kanye yeah. got in at the last minute. We don't know that yet. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, uh, I I bet a lot of money on Doug Walker. I, I think he <laughs> can still put it out. Pull it out. He's going to become president of Kickassia. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I this this could be. I don't know when this is going out. It could be weeks after the uh, yeah. the president has been revealed, or it could just be. So a, a, so, a, so if either of us feel a couple of weeks, if either of us sounds slightly out of it, that that might be why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's been. I've stopped caring now. No, that's not true. I still do care, but it's, it's <laughs> yeah. It's become right. difficult to continue yeah. to look at a map of the U.S. Oh um, yeah, when like it's not moving, it's not. It, it's maybe yeah. in six hours' time, uh, it, it, one of them might turn light blue. For sure, but no, yeah, yeah no, I, I understand. You. Like we don't know when this is going to come out, but right now it's a very stressful time. It's, it's, it's all right. So, uh, it's all right. We're gonna be all right. It's gonna we're be. We're gonna okay. be all right. So all for right. 
anyone for for anyone who needs to hear it i just want to say your balls are huge your meat is massive and everyone loves you i don't know what that's a reference to <laughs> it's just a fucking tiktok i saw okay <laughs> I'm not going to keep that in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's valid. Uh, although I might now. Anyway, thank you so, <laughs> thank you so much uh, for your time. Um, and goodbye, bye-bye, everybody at okay. home. Goodbye. Goodbye.